Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. You're listening to an episode of The Host Show. I am your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of this show every single Monday. And in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by Legends X, our 90-day short-term rental accelerator program that's designed to help you skill your hosting business by getting yourself out of the daily operations. So that frees up your time so you can become the CEO of your business instead of the manager and really focus on those higher level tasks that move the needle and allow you to grow. So for more information about Legends X and how to join, visit strlegends.com X. Now let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy the show. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Welcome to episode number 516 of Get Paid for Your Pad. Now I'm still in Colombia. I was planning on going back to Panama on Wednesday, actually. But as so many people here say, the hardest thing about going to Cali, Colombia is actually leaving. So I'm doing part two with my friend Patrick here. We're sitting on our on my little rooftop. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see. And today we are going to talk all about operations, how to streamline your operations. Because Patrick over here, he he manages like 33 units, it is, 39. right? 39 now. And I've been here for almost two weeks now, and I haven't seen him work. So that means <laughs> he must be doing something right. <laughs> he must have a pretty good operational setup. So I'm going to pick his brain on this episode to really learn and get some tips from him for you know the hosts who are doing a lot of work in their in their business, who are not in that position yet where they can just go he just left a couple of days to to some hotel to chill out and you know his business is still running i'm i'm actually he's managing my unit right so like i see all the the messages that are coming through and all of that and i see his operations are are just you know on on autopilot it seems so patrick we're going to talk about operations man well first you you shared with me that a while ago you kind of felt like a hectic host right can you can you describe like what your life and your operations of your business looked like before you started getting systems in place? Oh yeah, that's chaotic. It's, I wouldn't say hell, hell is a strong word, but it's not fun at all. And especially if you're trying to have some sort of a work-life balance, it's, it's really, really complicated. So we started out with just a single unit, renting it out. And then of course, there's always somebody who clogs the toilet. There's always somebody who loses their keys in the dance floor in the middle of the night. There's always somebody who, you know, generates a noise complaint. There's always something. Somebody breaks something. There's a check-in four hours later of another group. I need to go and fix this chair that broke or buy a new one. And it's just not very convenient, especially not when I started, I had two small kids, meaning like a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And it, it just threw our whole work-life balance out of whack. And my wife wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. We're barely making any money. We're trying to you know, optimize the return on the investment. So I wouldn't, I was, I was too cheap to hire any help. And I, I, I felt like I didn't even have time to sit down and interview anybody. It wasn't even a formal business. It was just me owning an apartment in my name with my wife and, and trying to get ahead. 
And that's not a very pleasant place to be. <laughs> so I, I read your emails, as you know, every single one of them, and I identify very much with especially the, the role of the hectic host. <laughs> that, that, it, it's a painful place to be. So I guess you want to hear a little bit about how we got out of that situation. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. So with one unit, it's hard. I must say with one unit, it's hard. So for us, it took, I think, like three or four units, scale it a little bit before I felt like, okay, now I can kind of afford to have, I think I started out with a maintenance guy, somebody who could just run between the properties and a cleaner. That was basically what we did. We had one lady that could start cleaning the apartments and make sure that they're ready on time, which is still for one person, if you have four apartments and everybody leaves at 11 or noon and you got to have them ready for three or four o'clock in the afternoon, still a lot of work for just one one lady. Her name was actually Lady. <laughs> and and then and then one guy that could kind of run and, and do maintenance calls. So one he wasn't on payroll. He was more like a contractor, but I paid him a small fee monthly fee to make sure that I could call him every day. And sometimes I needed him for 30 minutes. Sometimes I didn't need him at all. And sometimes it was a little bit more circumstantial with two or three hours worth of work. And then of course, as you scale the operation, you can afford to have two cleaners. And then I could start hiring an, an assistant to help me as well with what you'd call guest communication before I figured out how to automate it. You know, there was just me copying and pasting the same messages and sending it to people all the time over and over and over again. And I, I'd heard of this thing called smart BNB when I just started out, but if we we're in Colombia, the peso wasn't that strong compared to the dollar. And this was a service quoted in dollars. And I thought it was too expensive for the small operation that I had. So I figured just, I just keep doing this myself, which was even just more frustrating. Right. And, and one thing that I would say that gets the biggest amount of reservations is probably being very fast on your responses. So if you can set up a lot of auto responses and help you with that part, then I think your probability of a higher occupancy and a overall higher revenue is going to be a lot higher. So with time, we were able to scale it. This girl that came in started doing guest communication. It wasn't really a full-time job for her. So I started having her more as kind of a personal assistant. She would pay bills. She would run errands. Things in Colombia are still very manual. You got to go to the bank. You got to stand in line. You There are many bills that you cannot just have them on auto pay like we do in Europe, where it just gets deducted from your account every single month. You actually have to log in and pay every electricity bill manually. And you can imagine with 39 listings that we have right now, I mean, that takes two or three hours just to get that done. <laughs> so you got to figure out where do you add the most value to your operation? And I definitely think that it was on the scaling part and on the implementing of the systems and not so much running around and doing these basic errands. Yeah, yeah, sure. So you're talking about like, you know, you've hired quite a quite a few team members and you mentioned Smart BB, which is now called Hospitable. Okay. You still use Hospitable? No, I don't. I, I use uh, Guessy for hosts and I use the automatic messaging system that they have implemented there. Right. I don't think it's as good as, as smart BNB or hospitable, but it is definitely good enough to automate most of those tasks. Yeah. Yeah. So guesty for hosts that used to be called your Porter. Yeah. I noticed you're on your direct booking website. You're still using, cause I recognize it's the old your Porter direct we, booking we, we, website. We still have that platform. <laughs> I would say we're, we're about reaching a point where we need to upgrade. Yeah. So yeah, it might be a good time to build like a custom website, you know, with 40 units. Like I want to ask you first. Okay. So you're now. Like describe what your life now looks like as as the owner of your of your business. Like what what what's the type of work that you're doing now, and how much time 
per week do you spend on that? Okay. I think it's important to point out also when I started scaling and we reached a certain size, I actually brought in one of my ex-employees from Life Afar, Harold, who's a rock star. He, he worked eight years for the Marriott Group. He knows a lot about hospitality. He knows a lot about building systems. He's very systems oriented. And he works like a like, like a like a horse. I mean, he's really, he doesn't care about the hours. He just gets things done. So one thing I did was that I gave him half the business when we started scaling because I figured that I wanted to have a valuable team member that had a skill set that I didn't have and bring him on board. I think a little bit like you and Eric, I think you have complementary skills as well. It's not like you do exactly the same in the business. So there, there are two sides to the business right now. There's the scaling, meaning either we acquire properties and renovate them and furnish them ourselves, which we have 26 units under construction right now. The other part is reaching out to developers and making agreements so that you can kind of get a foot in the door. Because now Colombia, like many other countries, let's say the real estate developers have realized that developing traditional real estate and renting it unfurnished long-term contracts, especially to the locals here, is not that profitable. And especially now when you have inflation, everything is costing more, construction is a lot more expensive. They're realizing that the money is in the short-term rentals. So more developers are starting to get into this space, but they have no clue what they're doing. They don't know how to set the buildings upright. They don't know how to operate them. And most of the people that are buying into these projects, they're usually people that have some sort of a... Um, financial purchasing power and they're not used to doing this kind of labor themselves they don't imagine themselves unclogging toilets and so forth so they want to have an operator and one of the first questions they usually have for the developers is who's going to operate this building and since we have i think the biggest airbnb profile in cali which is another benefit of being in a tier three or four city in a country that is still kind of an emerging market is that we don't have that much competition is that we can just reach out to these developers usually they've already done a little bit of a due diligence on airbnb they don't necessarily reach out to us first, but we reach out to them and they would have known already who we are. And then it's kind of easy to get the foot in the door because they don't have a plan B. You pretty much dominate the market, which I think would be harder in Bogota, it'd be harder in Medellin or Cartagena. But in Cali, I think it's yeah. it's easier. You could probably do something similar in Barranquilla. And I can imagine if you are in Mexico or in Peru or in some of these other Latin American markets, if you go not to the biggest three cities, but like number four, five, and six, it would be easier to do something similar. So back to the question on how do I spend my day? Well, a big part of it is spent supervising these construction sites now and paying the bills. I have a full-time architect that that she's kind of the person with a hard hat on site. So I just supervise her, approve payments and budgets. We always get three quotations for everything. And, and certain things I need to go out and see it in person, like tiles when they say, hey, Let's uh, choose a floor for this building. I go out and I look at it in person and it takes time. I mean, we're in a big city traffic and so forth. So I, I spend time on that. Most of what is teamwork, like property management related, I can do it from my phone or my computer. So I work from a home office and we have a team meeting. That's usually about two hours where I go into the office and that's once a week. That's basically it. Then I supervise, meaning I, I keep an eye on Airbnb communication. We're dealing with Latin American team members that are not native English speakers, but we're targeting mostly Americans, Northern, I would say also Canadians and also Northern Europeans. Even though Airbnb has a good translate function and it's getting a lot better, I still try to supervise and just kind of skim their conversations. And then I bring up certain examples that we use for our, our service training classes once a week. And of course, they, they can always reach out to me and say, hey, we have this issue with this guest or what do we do? We have this issue with how to set a special offer. How do we, what is the maximum discount I can 
applied to a two-month reservation and so and so and so forth. So they reach out to me and I'm in constant communication with them, but it's not like it's hard work the way it was in the old days. So we have 39 apartments now, but we're 17 team members, which I think is hard to do if you're in Europe or, or North America, at least in, in Northern Europe, it would be hard. I mean, salaries just make it cost prohibitive. So we have two maintenance guys. We have three people doing guest service. We have one person that is doing covering the service line from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., like a night shift. And then we have me and Harold, and then the rest are just cleaners, maids that are on payroll, everybody. Yeah. So. Yeah. so you mentioned something about how you try to scale your business, right? And I thought that was interesting. You know, what we teach in Legends X is we have a thing called the property abundance plan, where the goal is basically using that plan is to become like the go-to person when anybody talks about short-term rentals, yeah. right? And it sounds like you've been able to become that person, you know, where where if somebody needs something, whether it's like some some advice or like a, a manager, anything related to short-term rentals, they think of you, right? And that's a powerful position to have because now you you can just basically focus on building relationships with the people that might need your services versus having to do like advertising or buying ads or going door to door and like call calling, things like that. Like, so can you describe a little bit about, you know, those 40 units and you have 27 in the pipeline, where did you get the most of those units? What, what marketing channel was it? So I don't spend any money on marketing at all. I have a blog where I share information, thecaliadventure.com. We share articles on how to have a good time in Cali, but we also share articles on investments. And all the way back to the Life Afar days, when Life Afar kind of fell apart, all these investors were kind of upset. This was right when the pandemic hit and they didn't know what to do. Life Afar kind of thrown in the towel and said, hey, we think your properties are going to have a negative return for the next foreseeable future. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. and." Uh, they were more, more or less telling them that you're going to be sending money to Colombia every single month to sustain the operation of these buildings. And these investors are like, hmm, that didn't happen before. So they started reaching out to me and say, hey, Patrick, we always had a good track record when you were operating the building. Any chance you want to get back in this business? And I kind of told them, no, I wasn't looking to do this. But at the same time, I was developing a unit with the 12 or building with 12 units in it. And I was looking for an operator myself. And I reach out to a small operator here in Cali with five or six listings and say, hey, I'm building this five-star property. I looked at your profile. You got great reviews. Would you be interested in taking over the operation? And they just told me, no. Like, they wouldn't even consider it. They wouldn't even give you a meeting. It was like, okay, seems like I'm going to have to do this myself. So from that came, I think it was 15 units from, from the old life of our portfolio. Then along came you and the other buyers of this building, which is another four units. Now we're at 19. Then I finished my own building that we've done with an investor group, which was 12. And then I went up to this building called Hayelo, which has 74 units, 74, 76 units. And I pretty much just knocked their door and pretended to be interested in a buy an apartment. And then I showed them, oh, I know a little bit about this business. I actually already have more than 20 units. And then I showed them my profile and this sales agent is like, oh, he called his boss and say, I think we have a potential guy that could operate our business. And that was two years ago. But those relationships and, and developing a project takes a long time. So you're just always there. Every time they call, you answer, you help them with their questions. They asked you for questions on, on, on layout, like where should we have the laundry facility? How many washers should we have? Should there be a gym? Should we have a pool, et cetera, et cetera? And you try to give them feedback for free. 
like just giving more than you're taking and just letting them know we're very interested in taking over this project. But we're ready whenever you are. These guys would not give me full exclusivity of the building, but they made us the proposed op or the suggested operator. Yeah. So they're still finishing the building right now. We have seven and I think another 10 in the pipeline probably. So we got 20, 30% of the building already, even though they haven't even finished it. And we're operating six of the units, like they're actually rented all of them, I think starting today or tomorrow. We just started this week. So what happens is that this builder knows other builders in the local market and they talk together. So the other day we got a call from another builder that's building a project with 89 units, short-term rental units. And they wanted a meeting with us and they want us to give a proposal for the entire operation, which means then all of a sudden you double or triple your portfolio basically overnight. And that led to another conversation with a contractor that is actually building one of our projects now, or she's they're, they're doing the structural part and they're developing a project in Santa Marta up on the Caribbean coast with 150 apartments. So that's still, I mean, we, we haven't closed any deal. These are just initial conversations. I'm just trying to demonstrate how these things can spread like rings in the water. Once you provide something of value to them, you're always available. And of course, you have a track record, meaning your Airbnb profile in our case speaks for itself. We have almost 2,000 five-star reviews. And, and it's very hard for other people in the local market to match that right now. Yeah. So people say overnight success. I'd say overnight success 10 years in the making, right? <laughs> so things are starting to go really fast right now, but it wasn't always like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's just such a powerful scaling strategy to build the relationships with those developers. Because like, you know, one building with like 80 units, like imagine how much time it will take and how much effort it will take to find like 80 individual property owners yeah. and then convince them to to manage their units, you know? Like, yeah, so it's that's such a powerful strategy. And you mentioned your blog too, and I want to touch on that because we always tell our, our students, don't don't try to be everywhere you know when it comes to a marketing channel and establishing yourself as an expert in the space don't because the the first thought that most people have is like okay well i need to be on facebook i need to be on instagram i need to be on TikTok. i need to have a blog i need to have a website i need to have all of the stuff but then like what ends up happening is you get you don't get any traction on any of these any of these channels because you don't have enough time to focus on it and i think one thing that you've done really well is I don't even think you have social media, right? I mean, well, you're completely ignore it. Very, very little. 300 followers on Instagram. Right. I mean, I, I don't even know your Instagram or your Facebook profile, but I know your blog, right? Yeah. And you're crushing it with the blog, kellyadventurer.com, mm -hmm. right? Like, because I Google stuff in Kali sometimes and I find your blog, mm -hmm. right? So that's another thing that I think you've done really well is like, okay, just choose something that you enjoy doing. You enjoy writing. You don't enjoy social media, so let's not focus on that. Let's just focus on the blog and consistently over time, just keep posting for years and years and years. And then eventually, like the blog is probably the number one resource for foreigners trying to find information about Cali, right? And, and, and especially real estate investing in yeah. Cali and, and even Colombia. So I started this blog because when I came here in 2013, there was no information in English about the city. And I went to the Ministry of Tourism and said, yeah, we don't really have the capacity. And I say, well, these people, they don't know what to do when they get here. So I just started my own. I went literally on YouTube and said, how to set up a WordPress blog. I watched a 45-minute video on that. I bought a template. I took out a hosting plan. And $50 later, and I was pretty much running in a couple of hours. And then I just started working with those templates, putting out content. And it wasn't the best blog set up in the world. 
but it worked. And then after you start posting 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 articles, then you become an authority on a subject and an English speaking authority in a Latin American market. And I know you've done kind of the same thing for yourself with the get paid for your pad and the consistency of having this podcast and so forth. So, so what happens is people start reaching out to you and, and most people, they just want a lot of free advice. They want to say, Hey, can I take you out for a coffee and pick your brain for a little bit? And you do that a lot in the beginning because you're so excited that people actually want to talk to you. But then when you start scaling your operation, you figure out, Hey, this is not, this is not feasible. So you either start filtering out like who are, who are the serious people, who are the people that actually want to invest with you and the people that just want free consultation. I tell them, Hey, we could do a, a consulting session. We charge a hundred bucks for an hour. And, and, and then the people that are really serious, they will do it. And the other people that are not that serious, they will just kind of opt out. But other than that, I don't pay for marketing at all. And we're just actually interviewing a person right now to see, it's a contractor, to see if they would do some sort of Instagram and Facebook marketing for us. The only marketing I will say, because I think it's valid as marketing, is the Airbnb commission that we pay. And as a professional host, we pay 15%, which for us, that adds up to somewhere between eight and $12,000 a month, depending on on the month and the time of the year and so forth. Yeah. So so that is sort of a, a marketing fee as well, right? They just let you publish for free. That's the big difference. <laughs> sure, yeah. So I wanna I wanna get some some tips from you. You know, you've been doing this for pretty much a decade. You've done pretty much everything from developing, renovating, managing. You have so much experience in this business. So what are some what are like the top three pieces of advice? Imagine somebody, imagine yourself like eight years ago, you had like three, four units or something. What would be like the top three pieces of advice that you would have for yourself in order to scale that business to where you are now at like 40 units? Okay, that's a tough one. I have to think <laughs> it, it depends a little bit where you are in the world. I think being in Latin America has its advantages that services are very affordable here. So I'm an economist from the university, meaning I don't, I'm not an engineer. I'm not an architect. I'm not an interior decorator. I just have a passion for real estate. And I grew up in a restaurant and I kind of have those service genetics. And I kind of consider myself to be a person with a positive energy and I want to spread positive energy. So one thing was putting a lot of time into to the ground, right? When you're looking at properties, when you're first getting started, I must have visited hundreds of properties, like calling realtors, showing up looking at everything, analyzing the local market. And when this is such a big city and it takes forever to go anywhere, is you, you cannot dominate the whole market in the city. So we chose what we would call the Northwestern part of Cali, which is El Peñón where we are. There is Granada, Centenario, and that's basically it. That's our little niche. We figured this is where most of the tourists go. This is where most of the walkable sites of interest are. This is where there's a great breeze that comes in from the Pacific coast. You have access to the hiking trails. Everything is just very dense here. Whereas a lot of people say, hey, I want to be in the south. I've heard Ciudad Jardín is very nice. Yeah, it is. But it's more suburbia. It's more residential. And sometimes we people reach out to us and say, hey, I have a, a small apartment building with four units in Ciudad Jardín. Do you want to take it over? And I said, like, it's not really efficient for our operation. Because I know just in back and forth on a motorcycle, which is the fastest way to drive back and forth, it can easily be two hours transportation for a maid to go back and forth. So unless you have scale, it's not really worth it to just kind of spreading your, you know, we keep our eggs tight. And I think if we do anything, we're not going to scale in Cali anymore. We would go to another city. So I think one piece of advice is like, know your area and know it very well. And for me, it was hiring professional help early, meaning 
there is a lot of, let's say that maybe there are three or 4,000 units on Airbnb in Cali. I'd say 95% of them look pretty average, meaning somebody has an old apartment, they buy some cheap furniture, and they snap a couple of pictures with their phone. And then they put it on Airbnb and they probably do all right. Maybe they have to dump their rates and so forth. We decided to go the other way and say, okay, there's a lot of Americans here. We know that they are having short vacations, but they bring their dollars and they're willing to spend. And there's not a very high inventory of high quality units. And high quality units, I think I mentioned the last time, for us, North Americans is basic, but for a Latino, this is high quality or, or luxury units. So we're talking about hot water, fast Wi-Fi, air conditioning, comfortable beds, and so forth. It meant that I could reach out to architects. And just to put things into perspective, we have a 12-unit building with 1,200 square meters, more or less 1,300 square meters, pretty big building. That whole project was designed for about 15 million pesos, which is less than $4,000 right now, just over $4,000. That was the architect redesigning the whole thing, choosing the floors, designing the carpentry, doing the window design, designing the new layout of the roof, the facade work, everything. It took him like three months. So that's pretty impressive. And it's something you can't really me. I, I, I didn't have that skill set. But then again, I could reach out to somebody who could execute it. So we hired Monica, who's the architect we have on payroll now. And her salary is just over a thousand bucks plus healthcare and so forth. So she cost me thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a month, but she's full time and all she does is execute our construction. And she does it to what you would call high level architectural quality. So there are no weird surprises. You know, there the tiles are properly installed, everything aligns, everything looks good. And then of course we did the same thing with the interior decorator. We find an interior decorator who for a couple of thousand dollars are willing to come in there and choose all the colors on the walls, choose how the bed's going to look, help us buy all of the furniture and so on and so on and so forth. And that's something that is almost, I mean, for, for me at least, if you want to try to hire somebody in Denmark to do all that kind of work for you, it's almost impossible. Yeah. So building good relationships with people that provide a very good service and you pay them fair, meaning for, for, for people listening, if you're in North America, it might seem like this is Patrick's sweatshop down in Latin America, <laughs> we're taking advantage of people. But these are actually, I'm paying people maybe 40, 50% more than they would get on, on, on the market right now. And Monica, for example, she worked for a big builder before. She made 3 million pesos a month, 3.2, I think she makes five with me. So we actually, she manages her own time. Instead of just being another worker on a big construction site, she actually manages the construction site. So she has an authority. And, and then, of course, you coach them, you motivate them, you give them good energy, you support them. And then the contractors, they start coming back and back and back because they see that, you, hey, you're somebody, you're a stand-up guy, you pay people on time, you keep your word, you're not trying to nickel and dime them, which a lot of the locals will do. And, and, and that works out to your advantage in the long run. So I don't know if that was three pieces of advice, but that was at least some of <laughs> my experiences. Yeah, no, that was actually perfect because like what I'm hearing from you is is really three things. It's number one, you got really clear on your guest avatar, right? You want to service foreign tourists, right? So that's that's something that I think is really important because it 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 just basically it dedicates so much all the decisions you're making in the business, like like you know, do I get AC? Do we get fast Wi-Fi, do we get hot water, like all those things that you mentioned. Once you get clear in your avatar, it's 100% clear like what you need it's to do. Negotiable. Yeah, so you, you understand exactly what you need to do in your in your business with your units in order to create that perfect experience for that 
specific person. If you're catering also to like, you know, local families or like, you know, whatever it is, like veteran parties or, you know, romantic couples, whatever, whatever that might be, then those avatars have different needs. And, you know, so like, then it becomes difficult of like, oh, when you want to make a decision, it becomes hard because maybe one guest avatar would want that, but the other one wouldn't want it. Right. So like, I think that's, you know, that's really important. And for people that are listening right now, we actually have a workshop online that you could take at overnightsuccess.io slash workshop, where you can actually download a, a template. And when there's a training attached to it, where we actually walk you through the steps on defining your guest avatar. So if this is something that you're interested in, just go to overnightsuccess.io slash workshop. It's a free training. So you can take advantage of that. Number two, what I'm hearing is what we call our home market, right? I mean, these are all things that we, that are inside of the vision pillar of our Legends X program is the first couple of weeks. We do nothing but getting clear on you know, what market are we in? What's our offer? What's Who's our guest avatar, right? And that whole market is really important because like you said, like you're focusing on Cali, the city, but even within that city, you're focusing on really only like free neighborhoods, right? And they're all stuck together. And they're all close together. So it makes your operations so much easier. And, and it also makes it easier to build relationships because you don't have to go through the whole city, right? You're just focusing on those free neighborhoods which is really, really important because again, that's going to dictate a lot of the decisions that you're making. And it just saves you a ton of ton of time, right? Like you mentioned, cleaners aren't having to go like two hours outside of the outside of your headquarters. And then the third thing I think is saying no. Saying no is to to opportunities that don't fit the the vision that you have for for your business, right? So you mentioned that for unit apartment in the south of, of Cali, it's like, nope. That's not my that's not my market, right? Yeah. But it's very tempting, and we see this over and over, especially with hectic host, because the hectic host is in the mindset of like, I just need more properties, yeah. right? No, I no. just need more money. More properties means more money. So anything I can get, anything I can get my hands on, I'll I'll take it on. I'll figure it out. If it's two hours away, I'll I'll figure it out. I just want you don't want to miss out on opportunities, right? So I think saying no is really really important as well. So so yeah, I think guest avatar, home market, and and saying no unless it's it's a right fit for your business. Yeah. One thing about saying no, you're not only saying no, we say no to properties because they could be too far away, but also because they don't fit our quality standards, meaning they're simply not pretty enough or they're not well laid out. But we also say no to owners, meaning that when we show them our contract and say, no, 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 these are not the terms that I want to work with. We say, well, these are our standard terms. If you want to work with us, this is our commission. We need a deposit. This is how we work. We work with our photographer. And all the things that come after, we pay your profits, you know, 15 days after end of month and so on and so on and so forth. And when they start trying to nickel and dime us and, and negotiate our terms, that's also saying no and say, okay, I guess there's another operator in the market that might suit your needs better than ours. This is how we work. And if you don't like it, that, that's all right. I'm sure you're going to find another fit. So, so I think, yeah, you kind of, um, you kind of hit that one on the head. <laughs> you know what? As you're as you're talking, like you should you should maybe become a Legends X coach in the future because it seems like you have everything we're we're teaching you you have it down. So <laughs> been reading your emails for a long time. <laughs> Would you be interested in being a coach at some point in the future? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's impressive. I'm, I'm still saving money to make it to one of those masterminds. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some more like you know small like actionable tips. 
you you've mentioned in the last week and a half I've been here, like you've mentioned a couple of things like, oh, here's a here's a smart little trick that you can do with guest communication. Or like I know, for example, here in Colombia, when you get an Airbnb booking, you still need to get the copy of the passport of the person you need because that person needs to be registered. So you have to get quite a bit of information from guests. Give us some little little tips and tricks that we can apply. Okay. I know that you are a fan of getting people's email address, which Airbnb makes it a little bit hard. I actually think you need to activate a certain function inside of Airbnb uh, in order to get it now. But I know you're a fan of it because then you kind of start building your database. And then, of course, you can start publishing your direct email to people whenever you have a promotion. And of course, if you're a pro host, I don't know about other markets, we pay 15% commission to Airbnb. Whereas if you're what you call like an up and coming, you don't have PMS, a property management software connected to Airbnb, I think you're only paying 3%, the guest pays 12%. That's the way it is here, at least. So back to what you were asking. Yeah, we've reached a size right now where we're in the eyes of the authorities, put it that way. And that means that short-term rentals is an industry that has received a lot of resistance in Colombia, mostly because Cotelco, the hotel organization here, the lobby organization is very, very powerful. And they were reaching out to the government and say, hey, these people on the short-term rentals, these Airbnbs, they're stealing our market, basically, which I think other markets have probably gone through a similar process. So uh, it's not fair that we need to comply with all documentation and all the paperwork and, and, and go through all these hoops if these hosts don't have to do the same thing. So what the government did was essentially change the rules for short-term rentals and say, if you want to host people in your property, there's a couple of things you need to have in order first. So if you're in a residential building, you need to make sure that the HOA, the Homeowners Association rules, allows for short-term rentals. And basically none of the existing older buildings in Cali or Colombia allows for that. And it takes a 70% vote to overturn that. And that's why some of the new builders are coming out and say, okay, we're going to develop a project where it's allowed to do short-term rentals. On top of that, you need to take out a register with the Ministry of Tourism. And then finally, you need to have an ID for everybody who spends the night at your property. And you need to make them sign a rental agreement. So it's called La Tarjeta de Registro. is like a guest registry. Where do they come from? Where are they going afterwards? What are the dates of their stay? What is their ID? What is their home address? What is their... Uh, we need a scan of their passport or the local ID. And we get a lot of resistance from that. And it's like, oh, I stayed at Airbnbs, tons of places. I've never had to do this. Or I've stayed at 100 Airbnbs in Colombia. Nobody ever asked me that. And of course, if you're staying with small mom and pop operations, they usually don't follow the guidelines. But we do. So we tell them, hey, here's an important note. Before you make people sign an agreement outside of Airbnb, you need to make sure that your listing description includes that information. If not, Airbnb will see themselves fit, terminate any agreement they have with you. So if you're trying to make people sign an agreement outside of Airbnb, make sure that it's part of your listing description. And we just tell people it's in that section that calls other things to note. So as a professional operator on the, the short-term rental market in Colombia, we follow all local laws and regulation, which includes signing a virtual rental agreement. We try to make it easy for you. I'll get to that in a second. And we need ID of all people staying at the property. And if they just have a visitor, you know, they know an uncle or I have a friend here that wants to come for dinner one day, then we don't need their ID. But if they have, let's say they met a girl somewhere and they wanted to spend a night, we make it so easy. They could just send a picture of her ID to our WhatsApp, and then we have her registered. The Thing is, of course, there, there are multiple things that go into it, but Colombia is a place where there's been a lot of human trafficking and there's been a lot of sexual exploitation of kids and, and teenagers. 
And that's one thing that the, that the authorities want to, you know, kind of get rid of, which is very, very understandable, of course. So I would say out of maybe 200 reservations, we have one guy that says, no, I'm not signing your agreement. I don't agree with your terms. I've never had to sign anything. And even though it's a last minute reservation and they're not authorized for a full refund, we give them a full refund. We don't want any, you know, we don't want anybody to be upset staying with us. It's supposed to be a pleasant experience. So if they cancel, we always ask them to cancel. Make sure you can never, ever, ever cancel a reservation on Airbnb. <laughs> don't want to lose your super host status for a year. It's so always make them cancel. And they say, oh, but I'm being charged 50%. And just say, don't worry. Trust me. We have a good track record. We're not in the business of scamming people. I'll give you a full refund. Don't worry. We're here to have happy people. Surround, you know. How do you send the, the money back for Airbnb? Yeah, we get an email from Airbnb saying that your guest Carlos canceled. He was entitled to 50% refund. And then there's a red button below on that email that says issue a field full refund. So we click that one and then we give him a full refund and we send him a screenshot. Does that include the Airbnb fees? Yeah, if it's before the stay started. If it's before the stay started, I think they will maybe if it's the guest, he can cancel and get a full refund with fees, I think two or three times a year. That's like the maximum. There is some sort of a threshold. So we we have this virtual PDF file. We we upload it to DocuSign or HelloSign. We work with both of them and we send it to people the one or two days before arriving. They fill it out with their information and they usually send us an email or WhatsApp or they just send the pictures on Airbnb of their IDs. And and then they sign this virtual. They could do it with a finger on their phone. You try to make it as effortless and as easy and painless as possible. What happens is now we have all their information. Another good thing about this is we make them check if they have a pet or if they're coming for medical tourism. So if there's a pet, then automatically we're entitled to collect our, our pet fee, an additional cleaning fee. And also if it's medical tourism, they, they check a box that, yeah, I am responsible for all the towels and bed sheets that I damaged during my stay. Because some of these people bleed a lot and and, and many times we have to replace bed sheets after their stays. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, there's no argument, there's no discussion afterwards. Yeah. So it's very easy. It brings me back to the story. I, I was in Mexico last year and I stayed at an Airbnb. It wasn't a very seasoned host, but they were just starting out. They also wanted me to sign a, 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 a rental agreement when I, when I was there. A person actually met me, made me sign an agreement, and then they asked for $300 in cash, which I wasn't aware of. Luckily, I had the money, but I wouldn't recommend doing anything like that, especially not with the air cover, which helps hosts out in most situations. Of course, if it's a direct booking, make sure you have some sort of deposit or credit card on file. Yeah. But the power of having that virtual rental agreement signed, even DocuSign is recognized as a legal document in Colombia, even a virtual signature for these kinds of agreements. So you have people are sort of legally binding. And sometimes we've had some sort of disputes with the guests where we have to reach out to Airbnb and then we can show them, hey, they signed, they agreed with these terms. If they lost the key that they're going to reimburse us X amount of money for losing the key, for instance, or whatever. So, so, so it helps us. But of course, we get a little bit of resistance. Sometimes we need to explain to people, we're not here to take advantage of your information. You got to make sure you have your privacy policy in order. Make sure you're not just storing people's information and indefinitely on your servers and so forth. So make sure you you have that under check. What I did, just as a little tip here, I went into Inter Hotel Intercontinental's website and I took their privacy policy, copied it, and then I just adjusted it for our needs so I didn't have to pay a lawyer for it. And then I ran it through Google Translate and had my wife uh, proofread it. But <laughs> <laughs> but this, we had it in Spanish and English, right? But the powerful thing really is connecting all these email addresses. And then in this rental agreement, you can put a little 
tap and say, do you agree to reach or to receive uh, information from us in the future, whether it be a newsletter, whether it be promotions and so forth. And that database keeps growing. So for us right now, I think our database is three or 4,000 people. And many of these are repeat guests that for the first one or two or three times, they might prefer to rent through Airbnb. They say, no, Airbnb, they have our back in the event of any dispute and so forth. But once they get to know us, they're comfortable and they've paid a deposit. They've had it refunded the day after their checkout and they're comfortable with the way we work, then they start booking directly. And then those commissions that you save on Airbnb start adding up. They really do. Yeah. So it's a powerful thing too. So a question for you. So you on your direct booking website, do you have the same prices as on Airbnb or do you discount the prices on, on your direct booking site? We actually have the same prices right now. But what we do have when we're trying to incentivize somebody to book directly is that we've created a special coupon that gives them 5, 10, 15% off. It could be for special listings. It could be for a special period. On Guesty and Guesty for Hosts, you can modify that. I think most PMSs actually, most PMSs that give you a direct booking website as part of the package will allow you to modify and make coupons. So we have coupons for people who say, oh, but if I'm booking directly, aren't you saving something on the service fee, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we are. And uh, here's, you know, as a token of our appreciation, you could take this coupon and apply it and they will get a discount. We try to make it so that we still earn a little bit, but also just to gain their trust. So uh, we pay 15%, I think we give them 10% off. Yeah. yeah. And then they either pay a deposit with PayPal, which is completely refundable. And when you refund on PayPal, the commission also gets refunded, which is a good thing. Mm. I don't know how it works with Stripe and some of the other payment operators. And then once they're here, we keep the money on PayPal for any damages or unforeseen things. And then we show up either with a credit card terminal at their address so they don't need to go anywhere, or we send them a, a digital link where they can pay online. We're just in the process of implementing that right now. And ideally they pay, if, if we start with the link, they would pay up front so you don't have any surprise. Because sometimes we've had people where they have a five-day reservation, but after way, day two, we need to get them out of there, like party people or whatever. And then it's good to have, make sure that you've already received part of the payment. You're not on the hook for something yeah. anymore. Before we wrap this up, I know you've been talking about potentially expanding to new markets, yeah. right? What what are your what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are you planning, and where do you see yourself like three to five years from now? I think if we do new markets, the easiest thing would be Colombia, but I wouldn't go to Bogota necessarily or Cartagena because it's so saturated. I've been looking more in a place like Barranquilla, which is an up and coming. It's the third or fourth biggest city of Colombia. Lots of industry. It doesn't have the same tourism draw, but it has a lot of business travelers and. There's a free trade agreement with the United States, meaning that a lot of industry moved up there so they can export easily to the United States. And it has one of the biggest ports on the Atlantic coast, which brings in a lot of business travelers. The other destination is Santa Marta. I think you've been up there around Parque Tayrona and, and that whole area. But for me, the whole part of, uh, or, the, or the whole thing about moving into a different market or a new market, it could also be Panama, it could be Costa Rica, it could be Mexico, is that it needs to be a project of scale. I'm not gonna start with one unit or two unit or three units. Ideally, it'd be something where we could start out with 15, 20 units uh, so that we can hire staff from the beginning. We can have a local assistant. We can have a local maintenance guy. And we can have three or four maids because if not, it simply won't make any sense. So so you either, I think the best thing you could do is, is buy a property. As foreigners in Latin America, if you cannot demonstrate local revenue, it can be hard to finance it. So either you you raise money with friends and family or private investors. Or if you have a strong enough local operation, you can actually pull the cash out and purchase another property and, and, and then get started that way. Yeah, it makes sense. I still need to go to Santa Marta. Okay. But it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, really beautiful place. It has a beach, it has the rainforest, right? And the mountains and stuff. So 
Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for yeah for doing this uh, second episode. I think you're Absolutely. probably been on three or four times now. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, excited to see what how, you know how you're gonna evolve your business over time. And you know, I'm so happy to be here in in Colombia. I forget what a cool place this was. Like, oh, it's so funny going back to what I started the podcast with. You know, Harold, your business partner, right? He's actually also been on the podcast because yeah, yeah. he's a cleaning expert. Yeah. So he's done a podcast with us on, on on the topic of cleaning. But when I told him like, "Hey, I'm extending my stay until Saturday," his first response was like, "Oh yeah, like almost everybody wants to extend their stay here." Right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's so funny. Like it's it's just the relaxed vibe and the the cuisine here. The, the, so many good restaurants here, and the quality of the food and the affordability. Anyway, I can go on and on. We already talked about a lot of that stuff on the last week on the on the podcast. So. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate appreciate you, man. Can I have one last comment? Yeah, of course. So I think uh, in our last podcast, there's one thing I forgot to mention, okay. and it was about the digital nomad visa. If anybody is curious, I don't know if everybody listening to this is a host already and are all tied up, but some people might be aspiring hosts or whatever you would call it. Colombia is launching, I think, next month. So in November, there's launched this thing they call the digital nomad visa, whereas you can demonstrate that you have income from work, investments, or whatever of three minimum wages, which right now is about $650 or so per month, then it will give you a one-year renewable visa so you can come and live full-time in Colombia. The idea isn't that you come and take employment away from locals, so you're not going to be allowed to work, but you can work in your computer remotely, and of course, you can start a business or whatever you want to. So if somebody has a setup, let's say you're in California, Arizona, New York, Mexico, Europe, whatever, and they want to try out it's like, I want to try to live remotely and see if I can run my business on autopilot with the team and the systems that I've implemented. I think Colombia makes perfect sense. Like you said, all the things you just mentioned, I mean, there's a great lifestyle for the value of money, especially if you're earning dollars, uh, you get a lot for very, very yeah. little here. So I just wanted to put that out there. I think it's very, very new information. Not very many people uh, know about it, but coming here and living for a year. Well, even if you only come for three or four or five months, it's still be a cool experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's 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 great that they do this visa plan because you know when I became a digital nomad in 2010, that was one of my biggest challenges. Was like, okay, I'm I'm not legally allowed to be registered in in where where I'm from in the Netherlands. Like in the Netherlands, you have to be four months in the country out every year in order to be allowed to register yourself. So I couldn't register myself there, but then like. You have similar rules in other countries too. You can't just get a residency somewhere, right? So uh, that's something I struggled with for a long time: is figuring out like where where am I going to be an official resident if I'm constantly moving around? And I ended up going with Bulgaria. That country has a similar a similar policy, but it's uh, it looks like there's more and more countries now that are kind of adapting um, their policies or creating new policies for for digital nomads because it's you know it's such a big trend. You know, I think Malaysia has something similar. I think there's a whole lot of countries, Caribbean islands. There's a Estonia has a very digital nomad friendly policy as well. And a lot of these countries, yeah, Georgia has one. I actually, I know some people who are officially living in Georgia and a lot of these countries offer friendly tax policies as well. All right. That's it for today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And of course, next week we'll be back. I'll be back in Panama. So I have my regular setup, uh, but it's, yeah, it's been super fun being here in uh, Colombia. So have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you next time.
Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building a short-term rental business, then go ahead and subscribe to our daily email newsletter at getpaidforyourpad.com. And if you're just starting out on Airbnb, make sure to download our free Airbnb starter guide at getpaidforyourpad.com forward slash get started if you enjoy this podcast make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and please leave us a review on apple podcast for a chance to win lifetime access to the short-term rental profit academy our starter course for anybody who wants to start an airbnb business every month we select one random reviewer and give that person access to the course Um, So if you want to have a chance to win access to the course, uh, please leave us a review and then uh, you might uh, join our program pretty soon. So thank you for listening. Check back every Monday for a new episode of The Host Show and every Friday for an episode of SDR Conversations of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.